So if you, if you knew you really needed it, sure. But otherwise, you'd be kind of reluctant to, to want to take them up on their offer. Um, Paul is going to pre- be presenting justification by faith. It's a key element of this book of Romans, a strong argument for justification by faith. But before he does, he makes a case for why we need some heart surgery because our hearts are desperately wicked and the wrath of God abides on man because of the wickedness of our heart. Last week we began by looking at the the revelation of God's wrath at verse 18. I just want to invite your attention to that for a moment to set the stage here. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. That's the revelation of God's wrath. Why is God so wrathful? What are the reasons for God's wrath? Well, ultimately, it will come down to a person's relationship to the Son. As John 3.36 reminds us that he who has the Son has life. But he who does not have the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. And so ultimately, it comes down to one's, one's view of the Son of God in relationship to him. But more fundamentally, there is another problem of why people would reject even that good news of Christ. And the the reasons given here in, in Romans 1 are two, that people reject God's revelation, and then people also reject the truth about God. So we'll look, we'll look at the two reasons that Paul gives in this section. Let's read verses um, well 18 through 23. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifest in them for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world his invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made even his eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, and birds, and four-footed animals, and creeping things." two reasons why people reject God and they're under his wrath because they first of all reject God's revelation verse 19 begins with the word for or because telling us why this is so why verse 18 is so the first reason is because what may be known of God is manifest in them for God has shown it to them God is evident in people what may be known of God is, is manifest that word means made clear or made evident in people inside of 
people. It's, he's made clear in people. You may be familiar with the beginning of the Gospel of John that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now we later read that that Word became flesh and dwelt among us, uh, being the incarnation of Christ. But go back earlier to John 1, 1, he, the Word is God. John 1, 3, that this Word was the creator of all things and nothing came into being except for through Him. He, he the Word, the Lord Jesus Christ, was the creator of all things. And then John 1, 9, we read that Christ was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. That is, that, that God enables every human being coming into the world to have some understanding of who he is, that he is creator God. Plus, we are, we are made in the image of God and the likeness of God so that we have a unique capacity among all creatures um, that we can have communion with God. We can know something about God. Uh, he's given us... Uh, um, the thinking ability and, and a moral consciousness and awareness and a, a spiritual being, all of which enable us to, to know that there is a God. And so what may, that there is a God is evident inside of us. God has made it evident in us. God has revealed himself because what may be known of God is evident in them for God has shown it to them verse 20 for since the creation of the world his invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made even his eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse now this is a, a convoluted uh, sentence and, and I know that in different translations uh, which phrase comes where is a little bit out of order but we'll, we'll try to take it just a phrase at a time here section at a time that uh, first of all God has revealed himself since creation for since the, cre the creation of the world that God has never been without a witness to the fact that he is and that he is all powerful creating God that since creation, all of man's history, God has given evidence of himself. In that, using an oxymoronic statement, his invisible attributes are clearly seen. Now that does seem like opposites, doesn't it? The invisible things are clearly seen. Well, how, how does God do that? Well, a way about this is what otherwise could not be seen, God has made known. Um, you know, in your limitation as a human being, you can see only partial of the light spectrum, right? You can't see all the light spectrum, but you can see enough of it that you can distinguish a lot of light and colors and so forth and refractions. Uh, on the auditory spectrum, you can't hear all sounds from beginning to end, that we have a narrow spectrum of what we actually hear, but we hear enough. And so God has made us in a way that we can, we can see well enough, we can hear well enough, we can perceive well enough to know that God put this here. When we see a sunset, we can see the, 
the beauty of it and so forth. And we can, de- uh, we can detect from that that there's something behind this. What, what is causing all this? What put all this together when we look to the stars and so forth? We, can, we don't see everything, but God has shown us enough that we see. What otherwise could not be seen or known, God has revealed them to us. The things which otherwise would be invisible, he has displayed clearly for us. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by or through the things that are made. So they're understood by or through creation. As Psalm 19 says, the the heavens declare the glory of God. And the sky above proclaims his handiwork. So when we we look to creation, we see something of the almighty power of God. Psalm 19 goes on to say, day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them and there is nothing hidden from its heat. Just using as an example the sun, the rotation of the, the earth and how we, see, how we perceive the sun's rising and setting that there's no place on earth that is absent from the declaration of God's creation. Day after day, night after night, he continues to declare he is creator God. But people reject the idea of creation because they reject the creator, which is a theme which is uh, several times repeated in this passage. Again, verse 20, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. And here's what's being understood. Here's what's being put on display in creation specifically. Even his eternal power and Godhead. We see God's eternal power and we see his his Godhead. Now the, the word translated Godhead here, this is the only time that it's used in the New Testament. And uh, some translations have tried to deal with this awkward word by translating it as his divine nature. And I suppose that's a fairly good way to take this. It, we see his eternal power and that he is divine, his divine nature. In the uh, unauthorized Crandall version, it, w- it would say something like we see his eternal power and his godness. That is that he is God and there is no one else who is. We see his godness. Theotes. Not everything about God is revealed in creation. But this is. And this should be sufficient for us to acknowledge that there is a God. This is that he, his eternal power, what power it would have taken to create the heavens and the earth and all that in them is. His eternal power and his godness. Not everything about God we see in creation, but 
enough to acknowledge him and to desire to worship him. Now, human beings still need special revelation. We, we call the revelation that we see through creation general revelation. That's revelation made in general to everyone who lives on the earth. But we still need special revelation which comes through the word of God and by the spirit of God to get, bring us the message of the son of God. We need, in other words, the gospel message to actually come into relationship with God. So it's the general revelation isn't sufficient of itself, but it is, God says it's a beginning point that at least displays that he is and that men should seek him and want to honor him and glorify him and worship him. So that people are without excuse who do not. And that's how the verse ends. So we see even his eternal power and his godness so that they are without excuse. People may deny creation, but they are without excuse for doing so. They will not be able to, at the end of time, when they stand before God on judgment day, say, you know, you just didn't make it plain enough in the things you created. If you just made a billion more stars, then I would have believed. No, God has made himself sufficiently um, revealed through his creation. It's an, uh, an old illustration, but one I think will hopefully still serve is, is if, let's say you found um, a watch like this in, out in the desert somewhere. If you did, please return it to me. I'm missing mine. But if you found this out in the desert all by itself, would you, would you deduce from this that it's still ticking and keeping time? Well, that's pretty good. I wonder how long it took for all the, all the molecules that make up this watch to come together to form it. And if you gave it enough time and enough chance, that's naturalism naturalistic look at the universe and everything is time plus chance you come up with something like this well now there are of course some differences between say my body and this watch for one thing I'm an organic living being this is inorganic but also my being is much more complex than this watch much more complex even than a strand of DNA than this watch could ever be. And so, if we, if we you know, you look at a, um, a painting and you realize someone had to make that. It didn't just happen by itself. You look at creation and, and realize someone had to make this. It just didn't happen by itself. And that's something God that, that God wants us to, as people acknowledge and say, who made this? And he's the one to whom I must bow, whoever is creator. So people reject God's revelation. Secondly, people reject the truth about God, verse 21 through 23, because 
Although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. Stop there for a moment. People reject the truth about God. This lack of glory and thankfulness is the main problem. Although they knew God, although he has made himself evident in the things that he has made, though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful. And the lack of glory of God, the lack of of acknowledging him, honoring him, being thankful for him, is the main problem in the life of man. To put it on the other side, as the Westminster Confession puts it more positively, it asks the first question, what is the chief end of man? And the answer is, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That's what we're here for, to to glorify God and to enjoy eternal existence with him. God put us here, he made us to acknowledge him, to know that there is a creator, to have relationship with him and to bring glory to him. But here's the problem. Though man knew him, they did not glorify him, nor were thankful. Therefore they cannot think properly, but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened, professing to be wise they became fools. Because mankind refuses to acknowledge glory to God the creator, they cannot think properly. Their foolish hearts are darkened. It's like this. If you turn out all the lights, you are left in darkness. That's what you do to yourself. And that's what metaphorically is happening to to people as they shut out the light of the truth of God and his existence. They, They shut that light out. They are left with nothing but darkness. But became futile, empty in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were left in darkness. The Inability to think properly is because truth is suppressed. Now, go back to verse 18 for just a moment. Remember, this is the capstone verse of this passage. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And because they suppress the truth, about God who who is the creator and who has revealed his godness, they have an inability to think rightly. Suppressing the truth has devastating effects on our life. And therefore, because they, they don't give glory to God, they therefore cannot think properly, and then they therefore substitute idolatry. Verse 23 and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. They do not give God the glory, 
but they changed the glory to something that they would rather worship. They substitute idolatry. And idolatry is, is not just um, some kind of a stone image or something, but anything other than God alone. Whatever that anything might be. And for most of us, that would be self. We put our self before God in our own interest. And that certainly was the root of all other idolatry to get for self something. If we don't worship God, we end up worshiping idols, and the worst idol is that of our own heart. Now, what is the result of God's wrath? We see in verse 24 through 31. First of all, God gave them over to their sin. This is a phrase that's repeated several times, so I want to handle this two ways. One by looking at those three times together, and then we'll look at them as they occur in the text as we get to them. God gave them over to their sin. Verse 24. Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. Verse 26. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Verse 28. For even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. So we see this thrice repeated refrain that God gave them up or gave them over to their sin. Uh, you might picture someone that's uh, holding on to a kite and that kite's way up there in the sky and it's you know, caught the nice hot breeze and it's really floating up there and then you just let it go and it takes off with the wind. Or picture someone holding a rope to a rowboat. And there's a guy in the rowboat who is rowing frantically away from you, and you're trying to hold it, and you see that he's getting ready to go over Niagara Falls. And you're warning him, don't go that way. And you're holding the rope, and he's insistently rowing this boat away from you, trying to trying his hardest to get away in his stubbornness to row away and that is what man is like with God reject God will not honor him will not listen to him insist on going his own way and finally God says I'm letting go I'm going to give you over to that which you so desire and be careful because God might just do that with you with devastating results here's what happens there are some exchanges that take place in view of God giving man over one is the exchange of glory for dishonor verse 23 and 24 <clears throat> and they changed or exchanged the glory of incorruptible God 
they exchanged that for uh, images like corruptible man verse 24 therefore because they exchanged the glory of God God gave them up to uncleanness and the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves this word dishonor is the opposite of glory because they changed or exchanged God's glory they gave it up God gave them dishonor in their own bodies among themselves they exchanged glory for dishonor secondly they exchanged the truth for the lie verse 25 who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. The exchange of the truth for the lie. And this, this verse 25 is kind of the decisive statement in this whole passage which um, anchors the previous section, verse 18 through 24, to the following section, verses 26 through 32. Uh, here's, here's the, uh, the basis of what happened. They exchanged the truth of God for the lie. By the way, this should read the lie. If your translation says a lie, uh, the um, definite, pro, definite article is in there. It's the lie. They exchanged the truth of God for the lie. What is the truth that is exchanged for the lie? Well, uh, a few years ago, Ken Ham came out with a, a whole book on this. Uh, I, I think it's just called The Lie, uh, and the subtitle is Evolution. And he, he makes quite a, um, a case from this passage that the lie being talked about here is the lie of evolution, or of naturalistic thinking um, that we were not created beings but that we just came into being uh, and he makes a pretty good case for that 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 is the lie but um, th some things to be careful about in that for one thing um, I don't think anyone in Paul's day would have been thinking of uh, Darwinism because I mean, that would, that would come uh, many centuries later. I think Paul really had something more basic in mind here, and that is where we begin, that God is, and that he alone has eternal power and godness. That, that there is uh, a denying of that truth and a substituting of the lie that um, we can worship someone or something else even ourselves what this comes down to then is wrong worship you see they exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator the fundamental problem of sin is a failure to rightly worship God that's why again verse 18 
For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. And remember last week we talked about how that word relates to how, how we reverence God. And a lack of reverence of God, a lack of worship Him, leads to unrighteousness in all kinds of ways in our life. And again, that truth is explained here. That they exchanged the truth of God for the lie and they, they didn't worship Him. They worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. When people do not glorify God and honor Him as God and rightly worship Him alone as God, all sin flows from this. That's true of you and me, too. I mean, why do you keep sinning? And don't tell me you don't sin. Why, why did you sin this week? I tell you what's at the root of it. You have not rightly esteemed God in your life. You have not been putting Him first. You have not been glorifying Him above everything else. And when you diminish the glory of God... You put something else in its place. And whatever that other thing is you put in its place, that is your idol. And that's your downfall. And see, we're not just talking about sin of man in general. That, that's true, that's what this passage is. That's a general statement. But it also becomes very particular and very personal for us. It's not just these terrible people, but it's, this is me too. Not glorifying God leads to not worshiping Him rightly leads to unrighteousness in my life. So there's the uh, exchange of glory for dishonor, the exchange of truth for the lie. Next there's the exchange of natural for the unnatural, verse 26 and 27. Likewise, oh, excuse me, verse 26, for this reason, so because of this, because of worshiping something other than God alone, God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful, and receiving in themselves a penalty of the, their error, which was due. For this reason points back to verse 25. And then verse 26 shows us as God gives them up to this sin, he finally lets go of that rope and lets things take their course. How bad can it get? I believe that's why he says, um, for even their women exchanged and so forth for even as this is this is even how bad it got now this verse is a lot like um, verse 24 so let's go back there the first time we read that God gave them up therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness and this word translated uncleanness here is a kind of broad word but it, it is generally used with sexual sin 
uncleanness in that way. God gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their heart to dishonor their bodies among themselves. Now, so that's been stated in verse 24. Now, it gets more specific in verse 26. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. Now, the word um, women and the word men here would better be translated female and male. There are different Greek words for men and women and uh, male and female, and really what's here is the words female and male. So I want to read it again using those words. For even their females exchange the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the males, leaving the natural use of the female burned in their lusts for one another, males with males, committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. And the reason why I think it's important to retain the, the meaning of those words male and female is because, remember, all along this is talking about creation, that ever since creation, God has made evident his ways. And when he created Man and woman, how did he create them? Male and female, he created them. On purpose, male and female. It was God's intention from the beginning. And these two verses are directly talking about the sin of homosexuality. With females with females, males with males, doing that which is contrary to natural use against nature, burning in lust for one another and so forth. And God holds this up as based upon his creative order, what he intended as a perversion. Just as idolatry is spiritual perversion, Homosexuality is sexual perversion. Both are the opposite of what God intended from the beginning. Notice how both of them are related back to creation too. Idolatry is spiritual perversion. Homosexuality is sexual perversion. Both are the opposite of God's intended design. And they are, as God gave them over for this, um, receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. It, it comes with its own set of problems, which are multiple. In these more recent days, AIDS has been, uh, of course, a part of that kind of lifestyle. Uh, of course, people can get AIDS other than through this, through blood and other ways but um, certainly become a part of that and finally the exchange of right knowledge for a debased mind verse 28 and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge they didn't like to retain it didn't seem like it was a worthwhile thing to do to retain God in their knowledge 
I don't want to keep God in my knowledge. They didn't like to. Even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God, now for the third time, gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. This, this verse in the New American Standard reads, and just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind or an unfit mind to do those things which are not proper or the things that are not fit. Kind of put it together. They, they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer. God gave them over to an unfit mind to do those things which are unfit. The NIV says, furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain God in their knowledge or to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved or worthless mind to do those things which are worthless. The exchange of right knowledge rightly thinking about God to a debased mind. When you give up rightly thinking about God and you do not want to retain God in your knowledge, then you are left in darkness and you have a debased mind. That leads to all kinds of unrighteousness. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. So the ungodliness leads to the unrighteousness and so we read verse 29 starting there examples of doing those things which are not fitting those things which are worthless being filled with all unrighteousness sexual immorality wickedness covetousness maliciousness full of envy murder strife deceit evil mindedness they are whisperers backbiters haters of God violent proud boasters inventors of evil things disobedient to parents Undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. This is a sample sin list. It's not meant to be exhaustive by any means, but just to show the kinds of things that men enter into once we give up thinking rightly about God. The main issue is that wrong thinking leads to wrong actions. These wrong actions, the unrighteousness that men do, that we do, does not come out of a void, out of a vacuum. It comes out of wrong thinking about God and about truth. And the way to steel yourself against this and to to stand strong is to glorify God, to look to Him for truth, to look to His Word for truth, to stand on this truth, to ask for His Holy Spirit, to enable you to live this truth, and truth of who God is is the antidote for unrighteousness. Not retaining God in knowledge any longer, not focusing on Him leads to a depraved mind which leads to all kinds of wickedness. And finally, the reception of God's wrath in verse, verse 32. Who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death not only do the same but also approve of those who practice them 
people know God is righteous to judge them if you did something terrible at work and you were called into your boss's office would you go in there wondering huh I wonder if they want to give me a raise or you did something terrible at school and you get called into the the principal or the dean's office gee I wonder if they're going to bump up my grade some probably not I mean if you know, you know you did something wrong you get called into the office okay what's the punishment going to be what, what did I do we know when we've sinned and we know in ourselves and, and uh, Paul's going to bring that point out in chapter 2 why we know this in ourselves but we know that we have sinned against God mankind even unbelievers know that they are guilty before God and they still refuse to acknowledge him but not only that to add insult to injury who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death not only do the same but also approve of those who practice them people approve of unrighteous behavior and why well because if if we can if we approve of bad things other people are doing then it makes the things that we're doing not look so bad we don't look like we're such a bad sinner if I mean compared to them and so the more and more sin we acknowledge and allow in culture and society the less bad we look in fact maybe the better we look for being so tolerant of it one of the challenge questions for tonight and uh, for further reflection is how is it that we in our lives approve of sin of unrighteousness in our world but it's no wonder that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men as God begins to make his case here of why we need spiritual heart surgery we see more and more the need for his amazing grace we're going to close with that song I'm going to ask our, our worship team to come forward and to share that song with us amazing grace as we, as we look at at this case against man it's not just against those people out there it's, it's God's case against us too and except for grace we would be under the righteous condemnation of God where would we be without grace God's amazing grace not deserved but saved a wretch like all of us are Stand together as we sing Amazing Grace.